Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. How's it going, everybody? And Larry Correa. Sup? Today's episode, Hobby versus Business. Round one. Right? All right. Larry, here's one of the things. It, it's one of my pet peeves about being a writer. Okay. It's see. one of my pet peeves. It's when you tell someone that you're an author, that you're that you're doing this, right? I know where this is going. And the first thing they say is, oh, that's so neat. Everybody needs a hobby. Yep. Or I'm an author too. Yeah. They're like, really? What have you written? I wrote a, I wrote a paper. I wrote a, a short story in high school, sophomore year English class. Oh, we're totally the same. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, Look, you, you and I, we've, we've been professionals in other, in other careers and stuff. It's not like we, we started out as an author and have only been authors, right? Nope. Like, in fact, I still have a day job yep. because I'm not awesome yet. So <laughs> Keep going. So the interesting thing is when, you, when you're talking to an engineer and they're designing a new space shuttle, no one ever says, oh, that's an adorable hobby you have. Oh, right? Yes, it's, it's adorable the way I made this like giant suspension bridge. You know, the guy, the guy that's doing your shoulder surgery, you're not like, hey, man, that's, that's such a cool little hobby you have cutting on people's bodies. Yeah. Now, there's the thing, and I, you got to respect the hobbyist because that's how we all started. Exactly. We all come from there. Um, I did one time, uh, it was a big hit on the internet. I did the alphabetical list of author success. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is we all start at that level where we're just a wannabe. That, that's normal. Uh, we all wanted to be writers before we were writers. Very few of us like write one thing and have it blow up into a huge mega hit that we coast on for the rest of our lives. That does happen, but it's like winning the lottery. For the vast majority of us, writing uh, needs to become a business. And so you have to transition from the hobby wannabe, the dilettante, to the actual professional. And there's a lot of steps in this process. And there's a lot of things that people like to skip over. But if you skip over these things, you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. Now, the, to start off with, I, I think it would be good for the people out there. Because, look, a lot of the folks who are listening to this podcast are are aspiring authors or, or perhaps aspiring editors and agents and, and such. Um, or uh, they're just our buddies who like us, which is always great. That's good too. We love you guys. Sure. Uh, and then there are the people who are already authors, perhaps new, perhaps old, who are always looking for that extra edge on how to improve their own craft. And, and that distinction right there, that whole gamut of, of – of personalities and career paths and stuff is kind of what we want to cover in this, yeah. in this episode. You know, it's interesting because um, I like to talk about uh, the goal of, you know, doing this for a living, quitting your day job, writing books, making a good living, you know, being able to pay all your bills and work from home. It's kind of the dream, but that's my dream. That's not necessarily your dream or anybody else's dream. So I'm not going to judge you. If you want to do something different, if you just want to write on the side for fun, hey, more power to you. Right. Uh, that's great. You know, uh, whatever you want to do. But mostly the advice I'm going to give is usually going to be geared towards people who want to do this stuff for a living. Absolutely. And, and, and for me, it's, you know, it's even a little bit, it, it's partway in there. It's, it's how do I take what I'm doing at the moment? Because remember, I'm the new guy here. You know, I've, I, it's taken me, it's taken me 10 years to become a success sort of almost. <laughs> 
right? Yeah, I get that a lot. It's like, wow, you came out of nowhere. You're an overnight success, Larry. Yeah, it's 12 years of continual labor to be overnight. Woo! Yay! <laughs> Which, don't get me wrong, I'm doing great right now. I can't complain. My, I have a good career, but it's, it's, it is a slog, guys. Um, you know, and the thing you got to watch out for, too, in the writing business is anybody can identify themselves as a writer, and that's fine. I mean, if you write, you're a writer. Don't don't beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. Don't feel bad. It's like, don't, don't get into the habit of comparing yourself to somebody else. And feeling bad because they're more successful than you or they have more readers than you. And this is dangerous, too, if you feel they're a worse writer than you, but they're more successful. Mm, You know, you think they're a worse writer, but they've got a lot of fans that really like them. And it's not about pleasing everybody. It's just about reaching. Remember, we talked about in our, our intro episode. It's all about finding those people who like your stuff and will give you money for it. And they that's what they've done. Um, so, like, for example, I'm not... Um, I, I'm not a big fan of Twilight. That's not my style. However, Stephanie Myers lives in a house made of solid gold bars. Yes. She's sold so many friggin' millions of copies. She's doing fantastic. Her pillows are made of stitched together $100 bills. Yeah, I mean, she her mattress is made of fluffy dog coin. I mean, this... <laughs> Like, seriously, she's got mad major money. I mean, this is going to be heresy for a lot of people, but I think Harry Potter's just okay. Sure. Right there, like, I, I mean, there's like, like the knives came out when I said that. But I mean, I, I mean, I liked it. I read Harry Potter. I enjoyed it, but I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I thought they were good books, but you know what? She's one of the most successful authors of all recorded human history. So just because you personally have taste that goes one way, that's good for you, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody else is bad. Well, and, and also keep in mind the effect that, that the Stephanie Myers, that the J.K. Rowlings have had on the book industry as a whole. Oh, my gosh. How much have they grown it? Huge growth. So many kids, uh, which makes me feel really old when I meet like a grown adult and they're like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I started reading when I, I started reading the Harry Potter and I started reading you in high school. And I'm their grown adult. I'm like, wait, 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 you what? Yeah. (laughs) Shut your mouth. (laughs) And, uh. You know, but the, the thing is, so, so everybody's different and they're, they have different skill sets. They have different taste. That's fine. Uh, like when I taught, I, I, I've taught uh, college creative writing classes before and I was one of the teachers. I did not read anybody's stuff. And that's not because I'm lazy. Um, I actually enjoy reading people's stuff. But here's the thing. I'm not going to read your stuff and tell you that it's not good because I actually am not, I, I'm not fit to pronounce that. Yeah, I've written a lot of books. I've had a lot of bestsellers. But just because I don't like something doesn't mean it's not sellable or it's not good. I can tell you if it's like really mangled, grammatically garbage crap that you'll probably never sell, but I might be wrong too. There's some really horrible stuff out there that makes way more money than I do. Right. So just in general terms, let's talk really quick about what a hobby is and and what that means to be a hobbyist writer. Oh, yeah. Um, now that's just like, that's how, like I said, most of us start out that way. I mean, if you write fan fiction, a lot of writers, a lot of professional writers like to bag on fan fiction and make fun of them. Ooh, not me. That's, no, that's how I learned, man. On the contrary, fan fiction, I think is one of the greatest tools in the history ever of learning how to craft and learning how to write. I mean, it's huge. So, so just to give you guys an idea, um, you know, writers are not created in vacuums, Right. We, we're a product of all the experience we have. We're a product of all the practice that we do. And I think that's the main key component to all of this, whether you just want to be uh, a really successful hobbyist or whether you want to actually turn this into a business at some point, and that is practice. So 
Larry alluded to in our in our intro episode that we he and I have been in a, in a gaming group together for gosh probably ten, more than a ten, decade now ten years yeah ten eleven twelve years something like that yeah ten years and our our GM at the time was Dan Wells and he made a serious mistake and that was he gave the players license to write to get extra experience points. If we wrote a character journal or a piece of fiction about the game, he would give us extra XP. And You can't do that for a group full no. of writers. Well, or two people who are accountants. <laughs> we made automated Excel spreadsheets that like automated our character sheets with random number generators for every role because we're dorks. Uh- <laughs> so, so when you tell guys like me and Larry this, that, hey, if you write some fiction... We'll give you all this extra XP. And so Larry and I, of course, we did the, the same and logical thing that all, all good humans should do. And that is we totally did it and we power gamed the crap out of it. Oh, yeah. We wrote so much Legend of the Five Rings. Legend and it's all posted rings. on my blog, actually. If you search yeah. for Legend of the Five Rings uh, on my blog, you'll find two giant campaign journals, uh, mostly by me and Steve, and then a couple other guys, Pat Tracy, yeah. uh, uh, Zach Kill, uh, yeah. back in the day before Zach passed away, uh, yeah. uh, Paul Janess, Tony, Tony uh, Battalino, yeah, and all these guys writing game fiction. So if you look at my blog for Legend of the Five Rings, you'll find those, and you will see how we learned as we went and we got to be better writers. Well, and the interesting thing is, you know, I, I Larry was having fun because Larry's Larry. Yeah, I, I have fun with everything I do. I can't help it. Now I. Soon realized because every now and then my, the part of my brain that says, Steve, you're almost a serial killer switches on. And it said, said, Hey, you have a captive audience. They have no choice, but to read what you write. Therefore (laughs) you should write whatever the crap you want and practice. And so that's what I did. That's actually how Steve learned to write. That's how Steve became a much better writer was writing fan fiction, glorified role-playing game. That's all it was. You know, one week I wrote romance. Yeah, you did. One week horror. I would write. I wrote horror, horror a lot. A lot, a Look, lot of horror. Guys, I'm a horror guy. Existential suffering. My my license plate literally says horror. <laughs> so you you got to you got to understand that's where I come from. But, you know, action, romance, yeah, um, all the different things. And from every little aspect of these of these writing exercises, so to speak, um, I learned week to week, game to game. And I knew, especially when I wrote horror, I knew I'd, I'd written well and I'd done right when I came in and everyone was a little uncomfortable with me. <laughs> well, there's a few reasons for that, but that was the fiction. Was Mo- mostly it. it was the fiction. Yeah, most fiction. So, so I think that the interesting thing here, like Larry says, is, you know, there's no bad, there's, there's no useless writing. There's no bad writing. I, my start was actually in, um, nonfiction. I wrote, um, reviews for gun magazines. That was my first paying writing I ever did is I actually wrote for gun mags. And uh, that was how I learned. The, I learned the basic craft of writing that way. And so honestly, guys, as a hobbyist, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't beat yourself up. But it's a good place to start and it's a good way to hone those skills. Now, the the thing with hobbies, though, is that they're expendable. They're non-essential. They get left behind when other stuff comes along. Right. Now, when you're when you have a day job like I still do, like Larry did before he he retired, um, 
I can give you the exact date. I know it by heart. It was a traumatic experience for me. He remembers. I don't remember the date. I do. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so. <laughs> was it literally 24 hours after I left, you got audited? Yes. Literally. <laughs> the next day. So when when life intrudes, whether you have major family events going on or your day job, you know, you just go through a rough period at your day job or you get promoted at your day job and therefore more stuff is 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 incumbent upon you. Maybe your wife has a kid. Um, well, shoot, gosh, when 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 Larry and I first started working together, both our family, we both had kids yeah. this within a week of each other. I had a son and he had a daughter within a week of each other. So. And so we were we were completely messed up and all of our focus was on them, on our wives, on our new children, yep. on our existing children, and then on making sure that our day job didn't fall apart, right? Yep, totally. Now, Larry at the time, he was already a professional writer. So that was a, just one more ball that he had to juggle in the air. I was not a professional writer at the time, more or less. You know, I had some short story sales, but I didn't have any novels or anything out. And so for me, the first thing that left the building was the writing. Yep. And even to this day, there are days where my day job that pays my bills takes precedence. Because at the end of the day, guys, it doesn't matter how awesome of an author you are. If you can't pay your bills with it, then, you know, then it's going to take a backseat sometimes. There's a lot of hobbyists. And once again, we're not bagging on hobbyists, but there's a lot of hobbyists who make the mistake of thinking that they have professional knowledge. And they will give professional advice. And that's one thing as a hobbyist that you just can't do because you have not been there yourself. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, one of the dangers in this business is what I refer to as the dilettantes. Those are the, those are the people who, because they went to some fancy writing workshop or they sold one or two short stories over the last 12 years. Or these days they've self-published their first story that or, or they've self-published a book, but they've sold like maybe 50 copies to their immediately friends. Well, 12 Even. copies. Yeah. And the thing is, though, but then they get on a panel and they start pronouncing business advice and creative advice. And a lot of times those are the people who, remember I said in the first episode, there's no hard and fast rules. They're just suggestions. These are the people that have the hard and fast rules often. So one of the things you guys need to learn to do is watch out for those people who think they're professionals but are not. They haven't made that jump yet, so their advice is not necessarily good. It's usually anti-advice. It's the advice that if you follow it, it's the kiss of death. All right. Now, we're coming up on our first break. And after the break, what we're going to talk about is is converting your hobbyism into being a business. But before we do that, uh, we're going we're gonna to plug the same two guys that we plugged in our first episode just to make sure that you all realize how grateful we are to those two individuals. And that's Jack, uh, Jack Wilder, who is our producer and editor. And then the other one is Craig Nibo, who's letting us use his awesome studio, um, his awesome equipment, all of his stuff, his building. Um, these two guys are making this possible for us. And so we are forever, forever grateful to them. And uh, if they were in the same room here, we'd totally give them big, big hugs. And, uh, but they're not, probably fortunately for them, right? But so thank you guys. And uh, we'll be right back. Uh, just give us a, a few minutes. The Chaos God of Sog has been quiet since the destruction of the City of Monsters. But Monster Hunter International knows he is still out there somewhere, plotting, waiting for his chance to unravel reality. When Owen Pitt and the MHIT discover that one of Isaac Newton's wardstones is being auctioned off, 
they decide to steal the magical super weapon and use it to destroy Asad once and for all. But before the stone can be handed off, it is stolen by a mysterious thief with ties to MHI and the Vatican's secret guard. It's raced against time, the secret guard, a spectral bounty hunter, and a whole bunch of monsters to acquire the ward stone and use it against Asad. For as dangerous as the Chaos God is, there is something much older and infinitely more evil, awakening deep in the jungles of South America. Book number eight in the critically acclaimed Monster Hunter International series by New York Times bestselling author Larry Correa, Monster Hunter Bloodlines is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo with me, Steve Diamond, and Larry Correa. So before the break, we were talking about the hobbyism of being a writer and how that's basically where we all start. There's nothing wrong with that. And look, there are people out there who just who just don't want to make it a business because that turns into a set of stressors by themselves. Yeah, that's fine. And if people just want to like... Uh some people want to just live that writer lifestyle. They want to go to the cons. They want to talk like they're a writer. They want to couch surf, couch surf their way through life. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, living on their rich friend's couch as they tell the rest of us what we can and can't write. I'm not naming any names. Uh, <laughs> and Steve's trying not to die as I, as I... Never mind. All right, so proceeding along. Um, so, 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 for example, Larry, <laughs> you, for example, um, and... and, and the people who follow your blog, MonsterHunterNation.com, they, uh, the one thing that they'll notice about you is that you're super huge into miniatures painting. Oh, yeah. Right? Kit bashing, love, doing all that. Love mini painting. Now, there's a reason why you don't turn that into a job. It's funny, too, because people have often offered me money for my minis. And I'm, I'm, I'm a good enough mini painter that I, I mean, I'm actually pretty decent. And uh, I've won some contests and stuff. And uh, I've had people like try to buy minis off me. And I always say no. Because once you start taking money for something, then it becomes a job, not a hobby. And I specifically paint minis because this is the farthest thing in the world from writing, mentally. Right. I can uncheck my brain. Now, writing, when you make that decision that you're going to try to be a professional writer, you've got to put away some of the hobby fun. Uh, now, writing has become your job. You've got to treat it like a job. And I have reiterated this for years, and I've gotten yelled at by so many people who are artistic, but that's not how it works. You have to be artistic. No, that's no, that's bullcrap. Um, and the joke that me and Steve have made for years was, uh, we talk about writer's block. But the joke we used to make was, we weren't allowed to have accountant's block. You could be like, oh, I don't feel like making these spreadsheets today. My spreadsheet muse has not, you know, told me what to put in this cell. You know, or I, I can't, I can't respond to the IRS auditors today because I, I'm not feeling inspired. Fired. They're going to yeah. fire you. You're going to, your, your butt, I'm sorry, try not to swear. Your butt is fired. Okay. Yeah. That's, but writers, because we're artistic, we get this pass. We say, oh, I have writer's block, so I can't work for this year. No, no. You know what that means? That means you'd rather be playing video games. Oh, yeah. I Basically, to be honest with like, if I have days where I'm not feeling creative, it's just probably because I want to go play Call of Duty or World of Tanks. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. No, just in be general. honest with yourself. Yeah. Like every job requires you to take time off to get away from the job. But you got to get away from the job at times, and then the rest of the time, you got to schedule your work. Yeah. doesn't matter if you're a heart surgeon or a bus driver, you got to do your job. Now, for us, putting words on paper, 
is our job. So we have to do our job. Too many writers get this flighty, I'm going to just create when I want to create, but that's a trap. And that works at first when you're super enthusiastic about a project. But I hate to tell you guys this, it takes, you know, usually six or eight months with your butt in a chair typing to make a book. So what happens is that initial burst of awesome enthusiasm, it's going to wear out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, for, for me, for me, the, the beginning is always, it's always there. You know, you, it's always right there for the taking because that's, that's the idea that pops in your head. It's the, it's the, oh, oh, I got this idea for this great character yeah, and or you're this great world. You're I know what I'm going to do. When you're enthusiastic, work is easy. Oh yeah. But it's what happens is over time, it's like, it starts to, it, it kicks your butt. Writing is hard work. It really is hard yeah. mentally work. I think part of my advantage, one reason I've been as successful as I have in my career is I'm a, I, I grew up on a dairy farm. So my idea of work of hard work is not the same as the average American's idea of hard work. So for to me, I mean, as long I mean, I could spend hundreds of hours writing, cranking away in the word mines. I'm fine because I'm not milking cows. No matter how hard life is, I just tell myself I ain't milking cows. Right. And I can write anything. You know, so so part biggest part of being a professional is you got to produce reliably, consistently, put words on paper and make them good. Right. And, and, you know, and I think that that is one of the biggest struggles that even um, current authors have. Yeah. Right. You know, this isn't understand, guys, this isn't just um, what Larry just said isn't just for for aspiring authors. But should you get into the habit of producing, as Larry is suggesting, then you don't have the same issues that that many big um, and and less big authors have out there, even even to this day, of continually putting out your work. Well, there's some very famous authors who hit really long dead spells, and sometimes it's totally not their fault. It's yeah. just life kicks them in the butt. Uh, bad things happen. Uh, you know, health problems, uh, deaths in the family. Uh, traumatic things, uh, you know, these, these are all things that are going to hurt you and affect your creativity. And, you know, if you're a professional and it's your job, you just got to get back in the saddle. Um, and a lot of times people give writers passes and say, well, it's because he's creative. It's really, no, no, it's a job like any other. Don't, don't put yourself, this is setting guys, word of advice, don't put yourself in this position where you're giving magical, mystical things power over your life. Uh, you take ownership of your life. As you're going to be a writer, you say, I'm a writer, I'm going to write stuff. And really, if you're stuck, a lot of times it's your brain just doesn't know what to do next with a story, go work on a different story. Go work on the next scene that you know what to do. If you know what the finale is, skip ahead to the finale. Or, or go back and edit the beginning again. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Larry. Um, when With the book that you and I uh, have just finished putting down on paper, Servants of War. Yep, coming in uh, May. March. March. March of 22, even even sooner. March of 2022. Good grief. From Bay and Books. So when, when I was doing the the general draft before you went in to, to add all of your mojo and your magic and, and, and elaborate on, on everything, basically, um, there was, I, I remember, I mean, there was one specific character in there that I was just having trouble with. And it would have been very easy for me to say, well, you know what, I'm just not going to write until... I get this this specific character and this scene done. No. Instead, I just went, well, uh, I'm just going to make Larry do that part. Yeah. And I moved on. The important okay. thing is you keep pushing on. But the point, yeah, exactly. You keep pushing on. 
you keep putting words on paper. Now, look, you said something that I, that I find very interesting, and that was the, the idea of setting a schedule for yourself. Oh, yeah. Now, Huge. for just like any job out there, um, schedules can vary, I think. And for many, many people, I think having the habit and the schedule of working daily at a, at a certain time, maybe even, uh, I think that that is very helpful Yeah. To, to taking the mystery out of the process. Now, when you first start out as a writer, almost all of us have a day job. You know, very few of us are, are in a position where we can just write at our leisure because, you know, our parents are independently wealthy or whatever. No, that's most of us, that's crap. So we have a day job. And so you, you set a time, set a specific time that you're going to go be a writer. Now it's hard for some people because, you know, they think, well, I'm going to write when the muse moves me, but well, you know, what if the move, muse, muse moves you at 11 o'clock, you're still at work. It doesn't matter. So what I used to do is I would get home from work. I would uh, hang out with my family for a little bit, eat dinner. Then after dinner until bedtime, I would, uh, I would write. Uh, and then I would set aside basically Saturdays. I would do a marathon Saturday. I would do Sunday after church. I would write. Uh, but I, I did this for several years. I, I produced uh, about two books a year all those years that I still had my day job. Um, and now I produce two books a year uh, consistently ever since. However, it's a lot funner. <laughs> but even now, I can write whenever I want. However, I still get up in the morning. I go to work about... Nine o'clock, I write until lunch. I take a lunch break. And then from uh, lunch until about five o'clock, I usually work. Um, and, uh, you know, I have kids in school. I have, uh, uh, so I have like a normal schedule. I know some writers do the nocturnal thing where they write mm -hmm. all night long. Well, I, that's what Brandon does. Yeah, he does that. I, I don't know how people do that if they have kids because, you know, I, I don't understand how that works. But basically you do whatever works as long as you are consistent and you are giving yourself that time to produce. That's the key. Now, now I, I freely admit that I struggle with this. You know, it's it's hard for me to to reliably set down a time period in which it works. And so for me, what I end up doing is I take PTO from work, my day job, and then I get I have a week. And in that week, <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, in this week I get up at the same time I would as if I would for my day job, and I sit down at the table and I write, and I write until dinner time. And then when dinner's done. I go back and I write some more. Yeah. You know? If that works for you, then you could crank out in a week. If you really apply yourself in a week, you can write a good 20,000 words. 20, 30. Well, shoot, my first book, Residue. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I went to a writer's retreat where that was it. There was no distractions. There was no, no TV, no internet, none of that stuff. And what I ended up doing is during that week... I wrote 35,000 words oh, that's huge. in that week. And that's insane, that's right? That's huge, yeah. Um, so, oh, to put this in perspective, guys, me doing this full-time, I, I average about 10,000 a week. That's, right. That's my comfy average all year. But, you know, it, in the situation I happened to have been in at that moment, it was, it was almost desperation. It was, okay, I only have this much time. I only have this week. So if I don't get it done this week then I'm doing a disservice to myself in the time that I've taken off. Yep. And, and so my point here is, does that work for me? Eh, sorta. 
I recognize sorta. Yeah. Would I be better off if I could if if I sat down and wrote every single day? I think I would. You probably would, and you're still trying. You're still at that point though where you're trying to strike that balance. Exactly. And until you, because once again, until you can quit the day job, which was something we need to talk about, is when do you quit the day job? Yeah. Guys, don't quit the day job when you sell your first book. Just because you got a book oh. deal or you just got your your independently published book out there. Realistically, guys, most of us who do this consistently and build up audiences and all this other stuff we're going to teach you about, we usually have five or six books out and more coming before we quit the day job. Well, how often how often do people get royalty statements, Larry? Well, it's every six months. Every six months. Or some publishers every three months. Okay. So you're still living paycheck to paycheck. It's just a bigger paycheck. Right. But I would, I would put out there. That most people don't quite understand the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of the, the sense of self um, control that you have to have when you're only getting oh, a yeah. paycheck, boom. And it's a big one, you know, every six months yeah. or so. We have a lot of people will have a lot of mis. We'll, we'll have an episode purely about the business of publishing and, and contracts and advances and royalties and all that jazz works. But basically, guys, you're going to get a chunk of money. If you do traditional publishing, you'll get a chunk of money in front called an advance. Uh, usually advances are not that big. A lot of people have, like, they hear about on TV or movies, the, like the million-dollar advance or the five million. That hardly ever happens. Unless you're going on Oprah, you ain't getting that. You're unless, getting, unless your last name happens to be King. Yeah, I mean, Stephen King can blow his nose and they're like, here's 20 million bucks, Mr. King, sir. Thank you. May we have more. And, and you know, so say what you will about Stephen King, that man works. Uh, but but most of you guys are, you're going to get an advance that's going to be like a few thousand bucks. Right. That's it. And then you're going to write that book and turn it into that publisher. And then you're not getting paid another dime until that royalty earns out, meaning they've sold enough copies to cover that. And then you start collecting royalties. And every six months or three months, you're going to get another check. But at that point, your income is entirely based upon how many books sell. And so if you keep selling more books, you make more money. Uh, honestly, we'll talk about this more in the contracts episode, but I basically live off what's called backlist. Backlist is your old books that are out there. I'm still collecting money on books I wrote 10, 11, 12 years ago. I still, every month or every six months, I get a bunch of money from Monster Hunter International. It's been out forever and I still get paid, you know, several thousand dollars well, actually, it does really get. I still get paid a lot of money every six months uh, based on these books that have been out for a long time. So the more books you have in backlist, the more money you you make. And so that's the key is you got to keep producing and you got to keep making a new book because you keep bringing new books that brings your old stuff back up. So people keep buying your backlist. That's how you make it as a professional. So, so it sounds to me, I mean, to me, this is essentially what you're saying is this is your career now. Yeah, totally. That's you got to set it up as a career, not just a flash in the pan, a one-off, you know, success. You know, don't don't treat your book like you just sold an item on eBay. Oh no, no. Right. You you think the biggest hurdle for a lot of writers is making that jump to thinking about writing as a job. Right. It's a job. Period. It's not an artsy fartsy thing. It's not a magic thing. It's straight up a job. And if you got to make that mental jump, and some people actually sell the book and start making lots of money, but they haven't made that jump yet. And then what happens? You've all seen this. Somebody comes along, has a big hit book. A few years later, the sequel comes out and it's kind of crap. It's not as good. That's because that guy never really learned how to produce. He never learned how to work. And then his career just spirals. Maybe a third book comes out and it's utter trash yeah. or, or they take 10 years off. 
It's because they never learned to treat it like a job. Right. And, you know, I, I think too many authors are in the mode of being the artiste, right? Kiss of death, man. You know, they, they say, well, I'm an artiste and it will be done when it is done. And it will be marvelous and blah, 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 whatever. Who cares? That's no one great cares. if you're on a trust fund. Sure. That's awesome. That's awesome if you're, if you're crowd surfing through life, you yeah. know, couch surfing through life. For the rest of us? Uh-uh. No, because for the rest of us, our job is what? To entertain. Now, if you entertain for long enough, a lot of that artsy nature and the, the turn of phrase that everyone talks about and stuff, that's all going to come. That's all going to come in the back. Well, here's actually the thing: people get backwards. They think that um, they, they they think that great art isn't common. But if you look at history of the things that are considered great art, they're almost always coming from somebody who's extremely prolific. William Shakespeare was extremely prolific. Leonardo da Vinci was extremely prolific, and they wrote for the masses. They created, or they painted for the masses. In some cases, they created lots. The secret is: the more you create, the more opportunities you have to create something truly wonderful. Exactly. Now you know what. I think that we're going to end with that phrase because that's, uh, I don't think I could have said it any better myself. Well, that and we're out of time. And we're out of time. So, uh, everyone, thank you again so much for joining us on the Rider Dojo. Again, my name is Steve Diamond and this is Larry Correa. Thank you all and take it easy. Rider Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Baron Hare Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries, by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday, wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving us a five-star rating or review, and by helping to spread the word. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Keep going. <laughs>